It is Locked on Jazz for the 3rd of June. Game 1 was an absolute stunner. What did the Boston Celtics possibly do to the Golden State Warriors and what does it mean going forward? A season in review for Boyan Bogdanovich. All of our favorites, but is he the right answer? And what's on the Cleveland Cavaliers menu that we might want? It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow! You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice for the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of every single day. We are available, free and available on all podcast apps, including on YouTube. We premiere on YouTube each day so that you can have a community experience. We're up on the podcast so you can have it on demand whenever you want. One uh, quick few notes here to start the show. A bunch of people told me that the audio was coming in on one channel. I think I fixed that as we experiment. Thank you so much for letting me know. That's the key to everything is that when we try these new things, these new snazzy graphics we have on YouTube and the bottom scroll and the various things, um, let me know what you uh, what you want, how you want them to be different, what works for you, what doesn't. But also that's a great one. And I think I have it fixed today. So please let me know on that as well. Uh, so thank you very much. Uh, again, the pl- right now we're premiering YouTubes at a set time. We tweet it out, and then all of you guys can have a community experience. Other times we're, and then on the podcast, it's on demand. I think that's the best match from what I've heard from everyone. Not a lot of people have said they want me live the same way we used to do. Um, what we'll do instead is we'll start doing some mailbags with some hashtags like AskLOJ, hashtag AskLOJ, and you can send in questions and I'll get them and we actually have a new way that I can't seem to get to work where um, I can actually bring tweets up onto the screen, um, but right now I can't seem to get it to work. So um, there, it's supposed to come up right in the bottom there and it doesn't and uh, I'll figure it out, but that's what we're all trying to do is learn different things and uh, things. And I hope you like the purple. Ryan says purple's in, so I'm going with purple. All right, uh, quick little note. Tim McMahon on a podcast yesterday said that he expects, he thinks it's most likely that Quinn Snyder does not return to the Utah Jazz. He's the ESPN reporter, and that the Jazz are hoping to get an answer soon rather than late in the summer. That was his comments. And so his expectation at this point is that Quinn Snyder does not return to the Utah Jazz. Wow, the changes that we are embarking upon. Eight years, if that's the case. We'll wait and see. Tim's been reporting this story. I don't always kind of jump on reports like that. Tim's really good. And, um, you know, we did jump on the Woj-Tim report otherwise. So I thought, you know, let's at least continue that. Um, We'll see whether or not that turns out to be true. I have not heard anything of that sort. I don't have any inside scoop on that. I've not talked to Quinn um, and uh, been in touch with him, so I don't I don't have an insight there for you um, on that. All right, let's get to last night. That was a stunner of a game. The most lopsided fourth quarter that the NBA Finals has ever seen. 
I mean, that is a stunner. Zero games of NBA Finals experience and they turn around and take a 12-point deficit in the fourth quarter and turn around and beat the Warriors, the experienced team, the veteran team at home with, again, the largest blowout ever in a fourth quarter. Now, we have, as we have learned... Uh, up close and personally, there are more three-pointer shots. There are more variants. There are wider ranges. The lack of shots at the rim in the NBA right now is leading to these blowouts. That's my theory. I've kind of have not expressed this to you guys on this format, but we've talked a lot about how the rim is gone, and we'll touch on that here in a second in, in game one. The rim being gone means that there are more jump shots, which are lower percentage shots, some more three, and it means you have higher variances for what happens when shooting clicks in versus doesn't click in. Um, and that's the impact that I think we're seeing and why we're seeing such kind of wild swings um, in games. But it is the first time ever in NBA Finals history that a team has gone from down 10 to up 10 in the fourth quarter. It is the largest fourth quarter blowout in NBA history. It is only the third loss by the Golden State Warriors in game one under Steve Kerr. Um, and teams win game one, win the series 71% of the time. This was a massive, massive game. The, the impact here, again, is you're not getting to the rim. So teams have, teams defensively have just said, you're not getting to the rim. And even, you know, Robert Williams does it, though I think he's not going to play a great deal in this series. And this is where I do think this series could swing back the other way. I think Al Horford who I think is great, is the vital piece here. I don't know that Robert Williams will be able to play much more than 16 minutes a night in this series. He was minus one yesterday. Um, Al Horford played 32. I I'm curious to see how they're going to get those minutes up. Grant Williams didn't look great. I actually, the one matchup issue that I thought, there's a matchup issue on each side in game one I thought was a problem. I don't know that Boston can play Robert Williams a great deal because he can't play drop. Against Steph, you get the handoffs, you Clay and Jordan pull off Draymond, and they'll kill you. We saw it firsthand. The other one is the small lineup for Golden State didn't work. They really need Kayvon Looney on the floor um, for his the impact he's having on the game uh, and, and the way he's playing. And frankly, Jordan Poole looked you know a little like he was the one who got overwhelmed uh, by the moment. Now. Let's look at the shooting in this game because I think this is where there's a great deal of relevance of what's going to happen here in this series. The Boston Celtics took eight shots at the rim and the Golden State Warriors took nine in the entire game. Like we've been talking about this. The rim is just gone from this league. You can't get to the rim anymore. And we, we presented this to you that this, or we, I, presented this interesting moment where the teams that deny the rim the best are the, are the teams that advance to the playoffs and are the best defensive teams. And, but the teams that advance offensively are the teams that don't use the rim at all. Well, Golden State took nine shots at the rim and the Celtics took eight shots at the rim last night. Golden State goes six of 20 in the floater zone. Largely that's Draymond missing those shots. And the, Warriors, the Celtics go 10 of 26 
in the floater zone. This is exactly what teams want. We're not going to let you get to the rim. We're going to make you take 40% shots in the floater zone and miss. And then what teams want is to get in the paint and kick out for three-point shooters. The Warriors took 37 above the break threes and hit 17 of 37. The Celtics took 29 above the break threes and hit 14. And this is where these teams are elite. Like, this was an elite offensive game despite not getting to the rim. The offensive ratings last night, Boston at a 128, Golden State at a 117. Here's what's really interesting to me in this matchup on at least night one. Boston's shot selection and shot distribution was considerably better than the Warriors. Now, 50% of all shots were threes. People can say they don't like it, but defenses have taken away the rim. So there's not a lot you're going to be able to do about it. And so both teams took 50% of their shots as threes. 48% for Boston, 51 for Golden State. Boston got better looks. They shot lights out. Both teams shot well above their norm. Defenses are going to dig in more and more as the series goes on with this shot selection. And we are going to have wild variant swings with this shot selection in this series if teams can't get to the rim. And they can't. If someone gets to the rim, it's going to be in transition or in some fashion of that nature. And I don't think we're going to see a great deal of that from either team. Last night, Golden State had 14 transition possessions and Boston had 13. Boston scored on theirs. Golden State didn't. That's the other one that I thought was really, really vital in last night's game. Uh, was that Boston, when they got out in transition, their length, their athleticism, their youth, they finished. They averaged 1.7 points, 1.17 points in transition, and Golden State averaged 0.67. So that swung the game. The other one that's, that, that I mentioned already was Golden State playing the pick and handoff game and pick game uh, with Robert Williams and the Golden State had a field day and they, Boston took that away late and then Boston um, was rolling. One other note to look into this game at a great deal was Jalen Brown's fourth quarter was largely when guarded by Clay Thompson. So they went at Clay Thompson um, a little bit there and we'll see how that plays out. So those are my thoughts. A total stunner. Um, Boston's roster is better. Uh, you know, I said that the whole time. I thought they'd lose a game somewhere because it was their first time and they didn't seem to react in that fashion. All right, Boyan Bogdanovich season review. I might not love any of our players more than Boyan Bogdanovich. Just everything about him. Is he the right guy for us? Is he the right guy moving forward? Do we have to keep him? Let's digest it. Let's look into it. Let's see what we think about it. A Friday edition of Locked on Jazz is brought to you by my good friends over at Murdoch Hyundai, located at 4646 South State Street. Also located in Logan and in Linden. Uh, the Murdochs are not charging more than MSRP. There is a car shortage. If you jump, you know, you want to jump aboard... Uh, before. So you head down to any of the three Murdoch locations. I'll set you up with a VIP meeting uh, before you get there. And we will then get you, you drive the car and get on the list and get your car. And then you get like Christmas when it arrives. It's pretty cool. Um, The Murdochs, as we mentioned, total class, not charging more than MSRP for any of their cars, which is awesome. Uh, They are... uh, We can get you set up beforehand. The Palisade is the big SUV that's amazing. If you're looking for something more affordable, the Elantra won the North American Car of the Year 
last year and every single reason why. And I'm currently driving the Sonata, which is their nicer sedan. And I can't imagine why you'd need more or want more out of a car than the Sonata. It is just terrific. So stop by Murdoch Hyundai, located at 4646 South State Street, also located in Logan and in Linden. And please just email me first at dlock09 at gmail.com and I'll set you up with the meeting uh, beforehand. Today's show is also brought to you by Built Bar. What exciting things are up at Built Bar right now? The best tasting protein bar in the market. I was out at a golf tournament yesterday. A good friend of mine, Alma, was uh, with me. He was hungry. I said, here, have a Built Bar. He goes, well, I don't really love chocolate. I've never had one of these before. I'm like, Alma, just eat. Come on, man. You're hungry. It's fine. I got one here. He took the brownie batter puff and he was like, What's the promo code? I was like, LOCKED15, Alma. LOCKED15 is what you need for your brownie batter puff built bar and get 15% off your whole order. Just amazing. If you haven't had the brownie batter puff, and he's like, I don't even like chocolate that much. Grasshopper cookie is available as well. That's my daughter's favorite. We've made that order. 150 calories, 17 grams of protein, 6 grams of sugar. I'm a fan of the coconut marshmallow puff. Same Mike macros, 140 calories, 70 grams of protein, collagen infused marshmallow, 6 grams of sugar. Also the Cheero. And by the way, the orange is back. If you're a fan of the orange, they've dropped the orange today and orange is back as Built continually bringing out new items for you. Go to built.com, use the promo code LOCK15, be like Alma, try a built bar and love it. All right, Boyan Bogdanovich. Absolutely, I said it during the playoffs. I think all of us saw it during the playoffs. If you're going to tell me I have to go down a dark alley, uh, a playoff dark alley with any of our players, I want to go down with Boyan Bogdanovich. And there are, he is just solid, he's unflustered, he plays the game right. He's there every night. He doesn't miss games, except for that calf strain. But, you know, you knew he was seriously injured when that happened. Uh, He's just wildly consistent. His three-point shooting is three years in Utah, 41, 39, 39. His two-point shooting got way better this year. He went from shooting 48% the last two years to 52% from two this year. So his effective field goal percentage was much better. His free throws were kind of on par to where he always is. He was down from two years ago, but the same. His rebounding was on par, which is unfortunate because he's just a really poor rebounder for his position. But all of his other numbers, I mean, the guy is just solid. Now, he is 33 years old. He just turned 33 in April. He's on the wrong side of the age game. He's six foot seven and 226 pounds. So he has the perfect body. And those are the kind of bodies that age better in this league than others. Um, but here's some interesting things on Boyan. And I I honestly, I, I'm flummoxed on what the answer with Boyan is. First thing is, if you watch the NBA Finals right now, there's not a bad defensive player on the floor. Now, I don't know whether I actually think that Boyan Bogdanovich is a bad defensive player. Um I think he's not a great defensive player, but he battles and he tries and he does all of those kind of things. And so, you know, his effort out there defensively is good. But I do go back to one of the really, really early games this year against Denver where Aaron Rodgers or Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Gordon just punked him like right. Like Aaron, Aaron Gordon just literally isolated him on the right wing five straight times and scored on him. And to me, like that was a red flag at that moment of the season of like, oh geez, people just have our guys and believe they can take our guys anytime they want. And 
that that made you know I I that is like a scarred memory into my to my brain. So I don't think he's a bad defensive player, but he's certainly not a good defensive player. And he's a defensive player. People are gonna go. Um, go shoot out and try to go get. Like, I think that's, um, I think that's what I concerns me um, the most about uh, what's going on with, uh, with Boyan Bogdanovich defensively. The age worries me a little bit too at 33 years old that, um, you know, at some point this should decline. It, it, there aren't a lot of numbers, you know, the numbers I look for on decline on players are dunks, uh, particularly for athletic players, his dunks were the exact same numbers they were a year ago. I look for percentage of shots at the rim. So percentage of field goal attempts at the rim. He went from 18% to 15%. It's a it's a drop. He's dropped considerably since he left Indiana and came to Utah. The thing about Boyan that I don't think people realize the most is that what he truly is is a transition player. And our lack of ball movement this year and lack of getting out and playing in transition as much as we would probably have liked hurt Boyan. If you go back to Boyan Bogdanovich when he was with the Indiana Pacers, he played 25% of his possessions in transition. This year he played 21.5% of his possessions in transition. His effective field goal percentage was 59%. He wasn't as good actually in transition as he was um, a year prior. He was um, classified by um, just kind of as a middle-of-the-range points per possession guy. He's always been a little bit better. This was up from a year ago where he was just at 19%. Again, his effective field goal percentage was at 58%. And his first year with the Jazz, um, it was when uh, when he came over from Indiana, he was actually only at 16% transition. So he's actually jumped up from 16 to 19 to 21% and was able to be kind of the one guy that was out there. His effectiveness went down a tiny bit. Um, but he's really a guy who actually needs to get out into the open floor and and play in that way. And that's when he gets to the rim. That's when he gets to some of these other things. So the fact that he's gotten less of that in Utah is a little bit uh, because only as we integrated the Boyan three and getting him out more and more in the last few years, did he actually get back to that level of transit use of transition that he had when he was with um, the Indiana Pacers. So the other aspect is his contract. So Boyan has $19.5 million left on his contract this year. The, when you look at a player, when you look at the jazz, we, we talk about this a lot. You can acquire a player in three different fashions, free agency, draft and trades. Free agency is difficult for us because we're a small market. It is for most markets, not just for the Jazz, but for most markets. Free agents, uh, trade is an option. And then draft, we don't have a lot of picks. The concern I have is if we take a player to the last day of their contract because we love them and want to go down playoff dark alleys with them and we adore them, then we end up with nothing for them because even though we get their cap space, we don't have the ability to fill that cap space by just taking it with free agency. Or if we've already played, if we've already paid for Donovan and Rudy, we're in all likelihood over and added someone. We've, we're in all likelihood over the cap. And then if we're over the cap, when you lose that free agent, you don't get that slot, right? So if you lose a $17 million player and you're over the cap, you don't get $17 million. It's only if you're under the cap that you then just fill it. But we wouldn't likely fill it with another piece anyway because we don't usually have the ability to sign free agents though we did sign Boyan so 
the the way I would look at this is I love Boyan. I think there's an incredible value having a 6'8 shooter that can get seven or eight, nine threes off in a game who can shoot them at 40%. I think they're few and far between this league and wildly important. And I don't really know how you can how you move Boyan and get better for it. But it would have to be one of the things I most heavily investigated if I was a member of the Utah Jazz front office is moving Boyan Bogdanovich because of the fact he's 33 years old and in the final year of his contract. And for us to be acquiring talent, that's really our mechanism of doing it is signing a player and then moving them for the next version of our player. And so the way the fundamentals work and our limitations as a franchise because of our lack of draft capital and because we're not an appealing free agent market means that really what we have to do is trade our players before their contracts expire so that we can bring in the next player that we can look to have. And because of that, which has absolutely nothing to do with Boyan, but just the pure fundamentals of being the Utah Jazz, I think you have to strongly consider whether or not this is a piece that you move as much as you love every aspect of him and understand that trying to replicate a six foot eight potent three point shooter on the perimeter is going to be wildly difficult and probably something that unless you're totally nail it, you don't get better doing, but you still better get that talent that comes in for it. Really difficult situation on that. We'll look at the Cleveland Cavaliers menu. A lot of rumors. Mike Conley for Karis Levert was a hot rumor. Do we buy into that one? And is that something that Utah Jazz should do? Thanks very much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. I greatly appreciate it. And thank you very much for jumping aboard uh, the program today for your second listen. Make sure you listen to Locked On NBA Big Board, our draft podcast with the fabulous Raphael Barlow, Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Leif Tuline all doing great work rising stars in the draft world. Um, you know, that's that oxygen was largely taken uh, by Jonathan, uh, by Chad Ford, and then by Jonathan Gavoni, and then by Mike Smith, Schmidt, and he's going to the Blazers. So there's a gap in the world, and these are the rising draft um, stars that are going to be out there for you. I'm really impressed by the work and the knowledge and the content that they put out on a daily basis at Locked On NBA uh, Big Board. All right, so the Cleveland Cavaliers are the focus of our menu that we're looking at today and possible trades with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, and if we look at their roster, let's run through and update everybody what their roster is. And there's a bunch of rumors involving the Jazz and the Cleveland Cavaliers um, right now. Uh, and those room, and those, so Kevin Love is, uh, let's see if I can bring this over here for everyone. They, this The site I'm using here just runs so many ads like you just have to be, let's see if I can do this. Display, there we go. Look at me actually getting it right. Um, I'm learning how to use all these features and become modern. So Kevin Love is at, if you're on YouTube, you are seeing the screen. Um, thanks to Sport Track for this. Kevin Love's at $28.9 million. He had a good year, but I'm not sure that's a target. Jared Allen is at 20 year for like four years. Um, you know, Jared Allen's gonna be really interesting. He's gonna have a Rudy Gobert trajectory career here. He's a terrific talent. He changed games for them this year. And, and now it's going to be a question as they get better and better and the spotlight gets on them, how it works out. Karis Levert is at 18.8 and a free agent after this year. He is long, athletic, out of the University of Michigan, oft injured, 
And I am not, and from a points gain standpoint, he has always been one of the least efficient offensive players. He is loved in all sorts of circles for his athleticism and all sorts of things that he does. But I am not actually the largest Karis Levert fan because of my offensive metric system. He's an inefficient offensive player. I think those guys are really hard to handle. He's last year in his two spots, Indiana and Cleveland shot 32% from three. The year before he shot 32% from three. His career is 33. His overall shooting is 43.4. He's thought of to be an elite, elite athlete. His rim finishing this year in Cleveland was bad. They don't have a lot of space on the floor, but he's only 64, 66% at the rim, which is good, but it's not, it's not exquisite in any way. Um, so, you know, I'm, I, I, I see Karis LeVert bouncing around every time Karis LeVert gets traded. Somebody's like, oh, this is amazing. Kar-. And I, I'm not, I can't, to me, that's a high volume, inefficient offensive player. And those scare me. Lori Markinen is still really interesting to me. Um, he there he's only 25 years old. At some point, he is what he is, um, and I'm not sure that that's that bad. When he was in Chicago, and Lori Markinen was thought of as, you know, the seventh pick of the draft, and all sorts of pressure, then it it. Fell, you know, they wanted more out of him. The last two years, he has shot 40% and 36% from three, taking six threes a game. You, it, you cannot find seven footers that can shoot six and seven threes a game at a high percentage. That's that's a pretty special talent. He is a great free throw shooter, 85%. So my guess is that that three-point shooting is only going to elevate. I, I would guess that the first half of his career is a 36% three-point shooter, and he becomes a 38 or 39%. He's not a great defensive player. He's not a great rebounder. Like we just talked about Boyan. It's just a, I just kind of skipped over it. He's just a bad rebounder. So is Laurie Markkinen. Like he, he's basically a seven foot tall shooting guard. And I don't, you know, you get him and you'd think he's seven feet tall and you'd be excited about the idea that maybe you could have him play your center. Like I truly think that the problem that Laurie Markkinen has is he's a seven foot tall. I think... J.B. Pickerstaff was really smart with him this year. He's a seven-foot-tall shooting guard, small forward, if if nothing else. And and when they and so then you got to figure out how you're using him defensively at seven feet tall. And and that is the problem. And this is again where if you watch the playoffs right now, nobody out there is a bad defensive player. And and those players that are bad defensive players prior to that got exposed. Um, but I. I'm not down on Laurie Markkinen at all. And I don't know that the model that Cleveland was playing with last year that they got all these accolades for, which was the three seven-footers, is really a long-term answer for them. Um, Worth noting, by the way, that when Markkinen was on the floor last year, Cleveland's offense was seven points per 100 possessions better than when he was off. Now, when he was on the floor defensively, they were worse. So he's a unique offensive player. Um... You know, I, I I didn't actually plan this, but I think a really interesting question would be, would Cleveland do, and what are the numbers, would Cleveland do Boyan Bogdanovich for Laurie Markkinen? I think actually both teams are better off on the, on a deal like that a little bit. Um, you know, from the Jazz, they get three years of player control on a younger player that's different. For the 
Cavaliers, they get a veteran who knows how to play and probably fits their roster a little better. Uh, that was not my intention at all. I just kind of stumbled into that, but that's actually, marketing's kind of the model by which I'm talking about in the previous segment of where you're trying to take a player who's under contract, who has a few more years left and adding him onto your roster um, because that's your mechanism by which you're able to add players. That's an interesting one to me, um, like of good basketball discussion. Boyan's a better player, is better shooter, is a better understanding of how to win, plays better. Marketing brings some unique elements to who you are, what you're playing, um, and I think is still got an uptick. There's been some questions in his career of whether or not he loves it or not and whether he has that spark. I sometimes think that is unfair, uh, particularly European players get labeled with that. Um, but Laurie's been pretty soft also. Um, at different times in his career. Um, and I think is a little inexperienced. Played one year at Arizona, and now you're working with him. That's that's a piece of clay still. At 25 years old, I'd be pretty interested. Darius Garland's certainly not going to be available. Evan Mobley's certainly not going to be level. C.D. Osmond, to me, is a poor man's Joe Ingles. He was great against us. I'm, uh, I like him a lot more because of the fact that he was so good against us in a given game. Uh, if you dig into his numbers, it doesn't always match. Isaac Okoro... I'm assuming is still a major piece of Cleveland's future. In fact, Garland, I mean, I really look at this team as Jared Allen, Darius Garland, Isaac Okoro, um, and Evan Mobley. That, to me, that's the future of the Cavaliers. This is why Mike Conley's name came up, is does he veteran them in some way? I don't, I don't know that they need Mike Conley. Um, they have Dar- I think really truly they have Darius Garland, Isaac Okoro, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen, and that's their four-piece future, and they're going to start moving the other pieces around. That's why I expect that Laurie Markin would get moved. If they can keep C.D. Osmond on a, or Jetty Osmond on a seven- uh, to $8 million contract. That's a fabulous deal for them. Um, and we'll see what they where they go from there. Um, but it's kind of an, it's an interesting roster. And I think it's a roster that actually um, becomes more interesting, for, you know, for a team like us. I think, I do think Laurie Markin is a player that if I'm the Jazz front office, I'm certainly playing around with that. It's two years player control. It's, it's a developing shooter. It's a unique talent and size. It's positional, you know, one thing you've heard Danny Ainge talk about is having um, positional, uh, uh, what is it, uh, size advantage, positional size advantage, and you definitely would have that. All right, have a great weekend. We'll be back with you Monday. Watch my Twitter, Locked on Jazz. I'm going to try to get that tweet thing working. Maybe we'll do a Monday mailbag. Uh, hope you have a great one. Thanks very much for tuning in. Greatly appreciate you. Talk to you soon.